Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Facebook Live. We're back with you tonight. Um, hope that everyone had a wonderful break last week. Um, we are uh, coming back on uh, difficult circumstances, as I know everyone knows out there, and uh, I've got questions tonight and a variety of things that we're going to try to do. As usual, we'll give people a few minutes uh, to get into the room. I want to start tonight, though, with highlighting our uh, PTO decorating contest on the weekend. So if you give me a second here, I'm going to share with you uh, first our questions, which we're going to get to in just a minute. Um, but um, I really want to share um, more some of the winners from our contest. And the PTO sent me the winners to announce just a short time before airtime tonight. And so on the screen first is the best, I think it's the best fall design. And so I want to click my tab here and show you this wonderful uh, flower basket by Shelly Z. So, and there's actually a video that goes with this on Flipgrid. So I'm going to flip over to it and see if we can see Shelly's video because I know there was some beautiful plants in here uh, as well. Look at that wonderful garden and that amazing fall display. Shelly, congratulations, you've won best fall design. And then the next one is going to be our best Halloween design. And so here it comes. This is Pat's design and Pat, you're gonna win. This is a little bit of video that goes with it. I want you to notice what's gonna happen here. So there's our Halloween character up on the top of a pedestal. Nice safe distancing there. And here comes a trick-or-treater. And the candy goes down the chute and into the bucket. Wonderful job, Pat. That's Pat Hartman and the best Halloween design. Congratulations. Let's see, and the next one. Hold on just a second while I get myself organized. We have the pumpkin winners. So the first up is the scariest pumpkin. And for the scariest pumpkin, we go to Bryce. So Bryce, congratulations for the scariest pumpkin. That's a beautiful ghost there and an amazing pumpkin. Thank you for that. And then let's see, next we go to the funniest pumpkin. The funniest pumpkin is this one. Here's our funny pumpkin for tonight. And some wonderful music in the background. And then finally, the most creative pumpkin. This one goes to Melis Z. And here you go. Here is the creative pumpkin. Look at that amazing piece of artwork there. Just a lot went into this. This is a little pumpkin established playground. And then look at this beautiful job here. Absolutely wonderful. Posted by Mellis. Congratulations, most creative pumpkin. Okay. So that's our winners of our PTO contest tonight. So congratulations one and all. I'm sure PTO is gonna be in touch with you on the details of uh, whatever prizes are out there. I don't have those details in front of me and I don't know if somebody from PTO wants to drop in and and join us on the uh, Zoom call and share that. But uh, look at look for details from them on the prizes to our wonderful contest. And again, just a wonderful array. Um, let me go back there really quick. Um, and share with you all the different projects. It was just amazing to see all of the effort that went into all the different projects at home during the week last week and just some amazing creativity and artwork and, and, and capability from fall to Halloween. Thank you one and all for your contributions. All right, questions are up on the screen. I'm gonna come back to that in just a moment, but Dr. O, I think you're in the house out there. How are you doing tonight? 
I hope he's out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Okay, no Hi. worries. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> you only made me nervous. <laughs> like, did he disappear? I disappeared. You and I both had a busy week last week with lots of things going on. Um, I, I know uh, you're dealing with a lot, as, as am I. Um, between the two of us, I think we're just kind of listening and watching and reading and trying to understand all these different decisions that are coming down. I know the big message was there was actually an interesting little bit of good news for us on Friday. Um, it was along with some bad news in terms of, you know, being more thoughtful about closures and things like that. But they did validate the antigen test. And they said it's now equivalent to the PCR test. I thought that was kind of brilliant. Yes, this is, uh, I mean, <clears throat> as I always said, uh, you know, the uh, kind of first goes the science, then uh, goes the clinical experience then goes ASW, uh, then the regulator, and then the government, you know, and uh, we are always kind of a, a, few, a few steps ahead, which is, uh, which is good. Um, and it's also good that the government is following because, uh, you know, obviously back in August, uh, we, were, we, we had to convince uh, also ourselves, I have to be honest, mm -hmm. that this is the right approach. Uh, even though there was a lot of good science behind what we were doing, but now the government is saying, yeah, I mean, the antigen test is uh, just as good as PCR. And uh, <clears throat> obviously, you know, the downside of this is uh, there will be many more cases now. Because mm -hmm. they'll be doing more testing, obviously, yeah, and will be identified. Uh, but that's a good <laughs> thing for reducing spread. Because the more we identify, the more we reduce transmission. Obviously. Yes, and, and you know, I was observing with a lot of uh, attention what uh, Slovakia was doing over the weekend, which is a bit what we are doing in the micro scale, mm -hmm. and uh, what they did on the macro scale of a country where they tested uh, almost 70% of the entire population of Slovakia mm -hmm. uh, using the antigen tests. They identified about 40,000 uh, infected individuals who are mostly asymptomatic, by the way. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, to be honest, when I started discussing with uh, another uh, colleague of mine, <clears throat> and I said, look, if they did this maybe kind of four times in a row mm -hmm. with uh, weekly intervals, uh, and they would close the borders at the same time, they would actually end the pandemic for them. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's got a smaller population footprint, obviously, so that makes that viable. But, but still, you close the borders, you do four tests, so you're done. You're done. You're pretty much done. And, uh, you know, I really wish that uh, uh, more countries were doing, were going that way, because that would really, uh, you know, slow the pandemic, if not stop it altogether. In mm -hmm. Because, you know, we all we we have to remember that the virus needs a human living to live. You know, mm -hmm. the virus is not a living organism. Right. <laughs> contrary to bacteria, contrary to other pathogens, it cannot replicate on its own. It has to have a host cell, which is the human body, which is the human mm -hmm. cell. And if there are no humans, because all the humans who are infected are at home. Right. Uh, and they cannot infect others, the virus dies down because after 14 days, it dies down in them. And then, so, I mean, you know, to be honest, and I know it, it sounds like a crazy <clears throat> logistically thing, but in the end, they had 5,000 uh, centers, you know, testing centers in, around the country. So if you were to multiply it by the population of Poland, that would mean about 50,000 or less, about 40,000 centers in Poland. Right. Uh, which is, uh, I mean, you know, on one hand, yes, it's a lot. Uh, but on the other, it's not a lot. <laughs> no, right. I mean, but, it, but it's about making that decision that that's the right thing to do. It's and then, of course, you, you've got to build infrastructure and production and everything else associated with pulling that off. But you've got the models. You've got the, have the model. you've got you've got the examples of what it is you need to build. You have the model and this is the, the approach. And uh, uh, and I, I mean, let's see again, we are doing it on a micro scale, which uh, uh, which has proven so far that this is the right approach because again, most of the infections 
almost 90% were uh, imported in a way uh, mm -hmm. from the external environment. And uh, had we not had the external environment, mm -hmm. we would have only a handful of uh, cases, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'd still be down in the numbers. And even as we saw the cases rise and as we continued to discuss and, and be concerned about it, we realized, you know, that this vast majority of outside and then responding to the inside transmission as quickly and, and effectively as we did. Exactly. And we and, and a bit of luck too. having the vacation came when yeah. it did gave us another additional advantage of being able to put quell on it in that regard, too. So, you know, the, the, the couple of remaining cases, again, also outside infections that we caught last week, um, were also able to be teased out without any increased exposure at this point uh, or any potential additional internal spread. Um, I think a lot of the questions are going to revolve around how we fit within this framework. And I know we're doing something different than what we see um, obviously the public schools and even a vast majority of the non-public schools, except for obviously the schools that you're working with. We know that some are being denied exemptions. We've notified uh, and, and said, this is what we intend to do. And thus far that, you know, our response from PSH, no Santipede and from others is, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. And, and they're saying, you know, because when we report, we do the contact tracing, we tell them what our program is, we tell them what our intent is. And they say, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, when you report, we want you to add this number or we want you to do this, but which we comply with. But, but in, in general, they're saying to us, yeah, we're okay with that. Yeah. Um, so that comes to, I think, some of our early questions here, which is about permission um, it, it's not really permission per se. Uh, it's just that we're informing them this is what we're doing yeah. um, and letting them know. And they're saying to us or they're not saying to us anything that would tell us that we need to do something different. I know that that changes entirely um, when we start talking about um, lockdowns across the country. Um, and, and I know you've talked with me about this too, is that, you know, we really don't have a choice at that point because then they start restricting movement. Yeah. And, and when they go to the point that they restrict movement, it's likely that we will have to um, do something more significant. And, and so that's kind of answering these first few questions, which is, you know, 1023, they announced this. We said at, at that time, we've informed the government we intend to stay open. Um, and that was true for greater than four. And it continues to be true with the announcements today that's taken a broader swath of the schools in the virtual mode because we're doing something distinctively different from what they are doing to protect our population. Um, that could still change. I mean, but I think it's really the lockdown and the, and the fact that they take transportation and movement in the city away from us. Um, that really has us rethinking that decision. Is that kind of your take on it as well? Absolutely. And, you know, in, in the end, I mean, I, I always, uh, I always uh, say that, it, you know, lockdown is a, a method that has been used uh, since the medieval ages or even before. Mm -hmm. And uh, Again, it, it just sounds so primitive in the end, you know, given we are in the 21st century and we have all these things available to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can do it. I mean, we can do them relatively, I mean, relatively, I know it's, uh, it sounds, uh, <clears throat> it doesn't sound right, but relatively inexpensively in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so why not do it? So I, I think, you know, in the end, and what you said, John, is very true, which is we are protecting our community. But by what we are doing, we are protecting the larger community of Warsaw and uh, Poland because we are catching those asymptomatic infections. Mm -hmm. one. We are catching <clears throat> uh, future symptomatic infections early enough so that they don't spread. Right. So by catching those, you know, 50 plus people, we have potentially saved hundreds of other uh, people from getting infected. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so I think that the, the, the more we do this and the more schools and the more companies do this uh, and continue with this approach, 
the more we contribute to the larger population, uh, uh, you know, being protected in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's that comes back against the other questions is that people would were starting to suggest, well, if we stay open, are we going counter to the Polish community and thus creating spread? No, it's actually the reverse. Yeah. By continuing to operate, we're actually reducing spread because we're informing people who otherwise might not know exactly. that they are infectious exactly. and are spreading more in the community before they find out or before they become symptomatic versus how we're capturing this. And at the same time, we've got our other layers in the Swiss cheese that are protecting the population until we identify that infection, even when there is this short space of time where they might be infectious in our midst, yeah. um, that we're still catching that. And of course, part of that fueled our decision to increase frequency. Absolutely. And, and of course, we've always <laughs> talked about the fact that the statistic is you go to twice a week and we're stopping what percentage again of infection? 95 to 99%. Exactly. And so, so again, we're, we're just increasing our ability to catch it and, and catch those uh, that may be new emerging infections and keep us from infecting a wider population. So to go back to the question that's on the screen, no, we don't have specific permission from the Polish government uh, to stay open, but we have informed them that we intend to stay open. Um, and that's both uh, to foreign ministry as well as to um, Centipede Piasechno, uh, who is our primary contact now and who we're regularly in touch with. Um, and in fact, they received, uh, as per my note today, they received reports today of additional cases. And so we're, we're now regularly reporting whatever we need to report to them and according to their guidelines, what they've asked us to do. So yeah. we're, we're definitely on the table there. Um, So there is a question, the other factor that comes up, which is our staffing. And, and of course we have many local staff um, that have children who are in the public schools who we now have to be cognizant of. And, and we're beginning to assess that today. Of course, the announcement is very new off the press here and we'll be working to uh, establish our plans for this and identify how we can do our coverage. Uh, but again, we're hopeful that based on plans that families already have made, because they've already been kind of prepping for this, um, either with internal care uh, by another family member or by other methodologies, um, that we're hopeful that we can come up with a coverage plan. But that is one of our big challenges going into this is that, you know, there's for a big chunk of our population, there is a secondary connection to that external population that we're going to have to address. So I don't have a solid answer for that right now, but I do know we started talking about that um, actually during the break and uh, continued those conversations as we came back together this week. Um, I think that's the same question uh, in terms of absences. Um, well, this is the same question, how morally and ethically with all that is closing locally, can we still pretend it is safe for us to go to school? And then again, is it down to our protocol? Um, there's nothing that we're doing that isn't grounded in science and, and established as a methodology and being used by increasing numbers of corporate entities out there who are looking at this may be the only way that we can keep things going during this phase of the pandemic. And so, you know, I don't think it's a moral and ethical question. I think it is a strategic and, and, and uh, logistical question. Absolutely. And what you can pull off in the midst of this. So I, I hear what you're saying, but again, I think we are an isolated population with a mentality that said we were all in this together and we felt we could create a safety bubble no matter what was brewing and, and flaming up around us and that we could keep school going even when others were legitimately shutting down around us. And, and that's what we've tried to demonstrate and we're evaluating it on a daily basis. And, and, and every time we meet, that's the big question is, do we need to do additional mitigation? Is there anything else we need to do up to and including, do we need to go to virtual school as we did with middle and high this week when we saw that we had evidence of that spread? 
And we wanted to be sure coming back from the vacation that we had done everything that we should have done. Um, next question up is we're aware of some families traveled but send kids to school anyways. Well, we caught a few of those today and some of that is clarification and communication, but um, we do need to reinforce with parents that if you traveled, you should not have sent your kids to school until seven days after you returned. And I know that there was some that got confused about, you know, showing up for testing or in some cases, parents uh, sharing with me that they tested as soon as they returned at the airport and that they were negative and that they thought that meant they were okay. Dr. O, do you want to help me dismiss that one that tests right after travel really don't tell us much? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, travel is a, is a high risk activity, obviously. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, assessing all the different approaches that the different countries, you know, especially the, the tourist countries have implemented. And, you know, for example, the United Arab Emirates, they have implemented this uh, requirement of a PCR test 96 hours before entering. Mm -hmm. Some of them it's 48 hours. Uh, Portugal has implemented uh, testing on arrival. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, it's, it's fine, but we have to remember that the, uh, the, the virus has an incubation period, you know, and uh, if you get infected today, for the next three, four days, you're not going to be detected, for sure. Then for the following three, four days, you may be detected, but not necessarily. So hence, we feel that the, you know, and remember that the CDC is requiring, requiring a 14-day quarantine normally after travel. So we are still, uh, you know, again, based on science, we are saying it's seven days because it's enough for the virus to incubate and get detected but not anything sooner because it gives a false sense of security when you test yourself at the airport. Mm -hmm. Whereas you may have gotten infected on the day of travel um, and then three days later, you're actually spreading or four days later, you're spreading. But you say, but, but I was fine four days ago. Right. So hence, uh, and by the way, this uh, applies not only just to travel, but any other higher risk uh, exposure activity. Right. And that's why we stabilized that seven day exclusion on both of those questions was to make sure everyone understood it's about a waiting period. It's about protecting the community and it's about assuring that we have the best chance of catching an infection if, in fact, you got infected and that early testing doesn't help us. Um, so we are addressing that. And as we find out about uh, travel, we're kindly calling families and checking and making sure that there's a clear understanding. And in most cases, we're either identifying that there was a seven day gap and it was just a miscommunication on which day they returned, or it was, you know, I thought testing meant I didn't. And then we're addressing that with the family. And we do appreciate uh, any information on this that can help us approach families and, and work out these uh, communication gaps um, and make sure that we're following those strategies that are, again, all part about creating the safety school bubble. Um, the psychological cost to children to be in school and the medical and psychological cost to staff to stay open. It, it's a tricky balance. I, I value that question. I, I don't have an easy answer for it. Uh, I do know we're assessing it all the time. We're looking for ways to support and make sure that we have uh, the infrastructure in place. Again, 90 plus percent of our infections have come from outside. And so we're trying to support and make sure we help people whenever they're impacted by that, whether it's staff or children and their families and do appropriate follow-up. And, and I know that there seems to be um, a dichotomous balance between these two where one outbalances the other or where they compete with each other. But in fact, they're really the same thing. And we're trying to meet both of those and balance an approach and, and certainly trying to keep tabs on things and make sure that we're helping where we can help. Um, and keeping our spirits buoyed. We're all in this together. It's a pandemic. And so, it, you know, we're all impacted by this equally across the board. Um, and certainly I'm, I, even I feel it, right? I'm out there uh, on the front line with our nurses most of the time, uh, 
helping to manage and, and deal with cases as they emerge. I'm often talking to the families as they come in uh, for testing and helping them to see, you know, what it is they need to do and how we can help them. Um, so I, I value that, that cost that we're all paying for dealing with a pandemic that's profound and impactful on all of us. And so we all have to find ways to help each other. And I don't think we can simply, um, uh, I guess, evaluate it as one versus the other. It's about how do we deal with both and how do we make the right and most prudent decisions in the midst of the data as it emerges and do it incrementally and do it appropriately. So again, I don't have an easy answer to that question, but I do know it's at the top of our minds all the time. There's a thank you for hard work and, and it's about the scenarios when we'll go into virtual schooling. I did talk about this earlier, but it really is about lockdown. And, and again, like we talked about, lockdown's a historical thing. It's happened before. We've seen it happen around us. Uh, we were in a, a lockdown in March, at least for a period of time. Um, so we know what those are. And when, when they're really saying you, need, you stay off the streets and you stay in your home and you hunker down and you're only going to the grocery store, or the pharmacy and that's it, then we're kind of stuck that that's gonna apply to us, I think equally to everyone. Uh, we won't be able to put vehicles on the street in a, in a total lockdown. And so we'll have to comply with that. And we do know that there were hints today in the news conference that that may be on the near horizon. Dr. O, you know the numbers associated with that. What was the number that was quoted today for when the country would go lockdown? I think the time period was about 10 days from now that they would assess that? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think, <clears throat> to be honest, uh, with the lockdown of uh, schools, which in some extent, to some extent has been going on for the last two weeks, we should be seeing some, uh, some less uh, spread, for sure. Obviously, this is compounded by the antigen tests, which would increase the number of positive tests. So, uh, you know, these two, th th this is, this will be the kind of the, the data um, uh, question, you know, how they approach this. Because again, even though we will be seeing uh, more infections, it can actually be less versus what was happening before uh, without the antigen tests. Because, you know, looking even at ASW and our positivity rate, uh, we are higher than versus Poland on a kind of per population basis. We are about 70 times lower when you factor in the number of tests. Right. Our positivity rate is a fraction of the country uh, given the uh, tests per capita that we have done versus Poland. Uh, so, uh, so that's where, you know, it's, it's very tough to, to obviously assess uh, and compare the, the two, because again, we have done uh, I think 14 tests per person in school. Mm -hmm. So that would uh, that would equal to Poland doing uh, what about uh, 400, uh, uh, 600 million tests. <laughs> yeah, the numbers are are not even comparable. Right? tests, and Poland has done four million tests. Right, that's 150 times less. Well, that, that goes back to what we said all along. That's the difference between diagnostic and surveillance, right? And we're doing surveillance, we're doing the percentage of our population, and we're doing it over and over and over again. And that means we're safer than out there. Exactly. Um, we got a question here about uh, students on three to five and staff are not. No, staff are. Uh, and that was in my uh, bulletin yesterday. So please check that. Um, and the app was updated today. And so everyone will now be showing a five-day expiration. And that means in some cases, we'll test kids earlier or later, depending upon whether it falls right before a weekend. And that's why you have to have a three to five-day window when you're not on a seven-day cycle. So, <laughs> so we had to do a lot of math in this. And it's not really a full twice a week, although it's pretty darn close because of the weekends and how they space in there. Uh, but uh, we went through our first round with elementary today on the new schedule. We'll actually do elementary again between today and Friday. So they actually won't need the five days. They'll just need the three. 
Um, and, uh, and then we'll kick off the cycle again on Monday. Uh, we've got the one day holiday on the 11th coming up that messes it up a bit too. Uh, but we're definitely on a three to five day cycle across the board. The whole app has been tuned and that includes staff. And so I think we were this afternoon working on some of the staff scheduling to get that in play uh, based on the expirations that were emerging. So there you go. Let's see. Um, the question is, why not go virtual sooner and save money? Well, it, there's no real monetary saving to going virtual sooner. Um, we've already factored all of this in. So yeah, well, there might be a modest amount of saving. There really isn't that significant a saving uh, to go virtual sooner. Um, from a budgetary point of view, we still have the staff. So the, there's no change in really our financial outlay. Uh, we might save a few tests, but based on the way we're pooling, the actual daily cost is, is minimal. So there's not a huge, huge difference. Um, I think the sooner is more about, again, um, you know, we've got a safer environment here while we're testing, you know, and, and to send everybody home and not know uh, and potentially be exposed and not be able to find out, it's actually a less safe environment. Again, the lockdown changes everything and, and not ability to move. But I think the case we're still trying to make is we're safer here. We are. We are safer here and uh, we are safer, again, not just for us, but for everybody else. So I think it's, uh, and there, there was a question in the chat up here that said, you know, aren't we effectively in lockdown now? No, we're not. Um, because they're not telling us don't go out on the street and they're not knocking on our doors to make sure we're in our houses. So that's a lockdown. And, and this is really an incremental closure, if you want to call it that, with yeah. the loss of the malls and some of the other things on the weekend. Uh, but it is not a full lockdown yet. And that then that's true. Uh, would you, well, uh, the full lock, I think I've answered that, yeah. no, and the full lockdown, uh, when they're, uh, you know, saying transportation shut down, you shouldn't be going anywhere except the pharmacy or the grocery store. Um, that's, that's a different scenario. We'll have to assess that. And I think it would be difficult for us to, for example, put buses on the road, because I think that those would be pretty much shut down. Um, during virtual school, could the PHE teacher please conduct class? Yeah, absolutely. We'll be uh, doing lots of things. Um, yeah, and, and making sure um, that we manage as usual that balance between screen time and class time. On these short closures, we haven't done as much because again, the idea is we're closed, we do testing, we come back. Uh, but uh, if we go into a more extended uh, virtual uh, learning scenario, then all hands are on deck and everything starts initiating in terms of uh, activities and the way in which we try to do things. Okay. Got to thank you for the amazing work. Um, the schools are virtual. Well, we just, we've already said, we're planning to stay in session uh, unless we see evidence through our testing or through other issues. Um, that we should again look at a, at a short spate of virtual school or if Poland decides something more significant. So right now, as I wrote today this afternoon, um, we plan on staying the course on what we have planned out, which is, um, you know, we've got uh, middle school and high school doing drive-through testing Friday, Saturday. If that testing goes well, uh, they would come back on Monday, elementary's on their off-cycle testing, so they're in progress as we go right now. And that's the plan we follow until we see evidence that supports we should change that plan. Um, and that's evidence within the school. So we'll be monitoring and keeping our check on things. Um, you know, numbers of kids in school has always been a factor of our... Uh, our numbers um, decisions, um, attendance and such. And uh, so we do use those as factors in our decision-making. They aren't overriding. Uh, and at the beginning of the year, we expected hybrid numbers to go as high as 20% uh, before we would be looking at virtual cohorts. And that wasn't going to be an indicator to go to virtual school, but it might change the way we do hybrid and might move us into 
more virtual uh, uh, groupings uh, that are slightly different. Um, so again, these are things we take on a little bit more incremental basis and look at it in the broader picture. So it's not a clean, this number of kids means we do this. And it depends how they're spread across grade levels as well. So you never know where we're going to go with that. Uh, Reevaluating the choice of the tests we are using. No, not yet. Uh, I think we're still very happy with the SD biosensor. Dr. O, do you want to chime in on that? Yeah, so you are right that there are more tests now available. So we have, uh, and I'm looking constantly at the, at the availability of the various tests. And I, uh, uh, I'm using the threshold for uh, accuracy of 95% sensitivity and 99% specificity, which is what the FDA is recommending as, uh, <clears throat> for their EUA uh, certification. So there are three tests now available with these parameters being met, which is the SD biosensor now distributed by Roche, the Swiss uh, company, the Abbott ones and the Siemens ones, which just came out. So they're very new, but they're reporting 96% sensitivity. Uh, the Roche SD biosensor have still the highest sensitivity and specificity numbers of those available today. Right. So unless we see anything which is better, we are not changing. Yeah. Uh, and if we do, we will change immediately, I assure you. Yeah. I suppose one of the things we could be talking about is a test um, that has an ability to be cheap enough that we do it more frequently, yeah. Yeah. which might override a couple of points of sensitivity Yes. In order to use it on a daily basis or use it at home in a more comfortable atmosphere you know, every other day. Um, we've always talked about that, but we really just need to get more of those options out there before we can go there. So far, they are not available. So the at-home tests are not available. The, uh, the prices are still what, what they are. They're still uh, made for uh, professional use. Uh, they're still not distributed as uh, kind of single uh, tests, but they're still distributed as packages of tests. Um, so, but again, we are constantly monitoring what is available, not just in Poland, but across the, the world. Uh, and we are looking at, again, one of those things we were looking at uh, was the lamp test based on saliva. And we are working with this company uh, on, uh, this is validated now, but they still don't have the, uh, option to have large scale testing. So the, ah, okay. the machines they're using still have a throughput of about five to 10 tests per hour, which is not enough for us. Uh, so I gave them a task of developing something that would go into more like a hundred per hour. Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty consistent with what we're doing right now. It's so. consistent with what we're doing. And then uh, if we can get that, and if we can get the cost down, because the, you know, you have to remember that even though sometimes with these uh, lab tests, yeah. the uh, reagent cost is actually quite small. So as I think sharing with you at some, some time ago that the PCR reagents, uh, they can go as low as uh, maybe five, uh, $10 per test or even less. Mm -hmm. But then when you add the uh, infrastructure cost, the <clears throat> trained personnel cost, the uh, uh, machines, then it adds, you know, three times more. To yeah, the, yeah, it starts <laughs> coming up, right? So that's why, you know, I mean, uh, again, rest assured that as soon as we find something as reliable or close to, but way cheaper, then we will be the first ones to evaluate and after evaluation, use it. Got it. Um, next question up is one we I think we've already touched on, which is uh, you know spread of infection. That is our key factor. If we see spread of infection in the community, it's one of the things we react most significantly to. So uh, I think we've kind of talked that through. Um, more solid virtual learning option. Well, we will. I, I think I've stated over and over again um, that hybrid is not full virtual. When we go full virtual, we have a whole slew of things that have all been in development in the background and are ready to turn the switch on when, when and if we need to go to virtual 
through the lockdown or through some of the other things that we've talked about. These short stints have been virtual um, just to keep us going. They haven't been our full toolbox, if you will, of virtual learning. So there's much more that we have ready in the hopper to put into play when we look at a virtual mode that might be for a more extended period of time. So rest assured, we spent the better part of our uh, PD time at the beginning of the school year and have incrementally throughout the last number of weeks uh, been continuing to hone our practices so that when we needed to do virtual school, we would be fully prepared and ready to do that. So. Um, just know that that's in place and that we have more than maybe what you've seen so far, because as would be legitimate, we've been focused on being in real school and uh, haven't really trotted out all of our best game relative to virtual school. Um, it's not the, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. And thank you for the comments here about this. Uh, I think that's really echoing what we're saying is that uh, lockdown quarantine is not really the answer. Um, what if somebody from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or Santa Pesa decides, well, then the board and I will sit down and look at that and, and determine and, uh, and come up with a decision at that point if there's an actual directive. Um, that's always the case. A government could come to our front door or come to us directly and say, you need to do this. Of course, we're going to comply with that. We're not going to uh, do anything illegal here. Um, but we haven't seen that yet, and there's no indication that that's going to be potentially coming. Um, uh, our family hopes that the school stays open and you're doing a great job and doesn't match. I did that one earlier. Uh, in case of a prolonged virtual school, is there a contingency plan for extracurricular activities such as swimming that could be replaced with gym or dance? No, that's too detailed. I don't think we've uh, talked about plans like that or things that we specifically might do. Mainly, we try to keep our core programs going. Uh, we do do a variety of extracurricular activities in virtual mode, um, and we've demonstrated that last year in the spring, and so we have experience doing that. Uh, many of our extracurricular activities have already been planned with some degree of virtual mode because CESA is not traveling anywhere, and so we're not since we're not going anywhere, you know, we have to be looking at what are our virtual options. And I think you saw that we're still keeping athletics going, but we haven't been able obviously to compete. Um, and, and we, but we have had some virtual competitions that uh, actually went quite well. And I know activities has a slate of those. In fact, I think I'm a judge on speech and debate coming up here very shortly. So we've got uh, we've got activities going and that could continue whether we're in real school or virtual school. So we have the ability to turn the switch on many, if not most of those. Uh, specific definition for travel. Yeah, it's travel. You know, uh, I, I know the, everybody was focused on the exceptions in many of the messages to me. Um, you know, we went to our house, which is just 40 kilometers from here. Well, okay, I, I get that that's not travel per se. But the minute you start having that conversation, you start getting the exceptions. And, and the reality is, do you really know that you didn't connect with somebody at a mall or at a, a gas station or in some other location? So we really said, just consider travel, travel anywhere and take the seven days and then come and test and we can all feel confident that there wasn't something inadvertent here that made it into our environment. And, and it's not too much to ask. I, again, I, I, I said it twice before the break in all capitals, stay home. <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and, I, and I stayed home and I made sure that it was, a, it, was a, it was a decision I made because I just knew that the risk out there was too great to the community and to myself, to be quite honest, uh, there, you just don't know. And we've learned that through the cases we've identified in recent weeks, that many of them were based on travel. They, were, they came out of travel. We identified them as a result of travel. Um, so, and it was car trips, it was train trips, it was uh, things that people thought were safe, and it was still travel that was ultimately at the core of that infection. So uh, please, uh, travel is just not prudent right now. And I know Everybody's got 
a judgment call relative to whether they did something particularly isolated relative to their travel. I don't know how to guide you on these and it becomes harder for me to help make these decisions. I would ask you simply not to travel and thank you for that. Uh, family homeschooler may open till likely late spring. Yeah, we, we believe in that as well. By the way, even if we go into lockdown, you know, our process in the background while we're teaching virtual school would be to constantly be looking for opportunity to come back. One of the things that I pledged as part of this was we'd be looking for a way to come back. Um, and, and so that's what all of our focus would be on is what would be a way that we could come back and, and do it so that we're not closed for very long. So all eyes would turn to that and we would hope uh, to bring everybody back as soon as possible. I know that Poland itself is only projected closing until the end of November if they go into lockdown. Um, I, but that's hard to predict at this point and I know that. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. O, but even if Poland goes into lockdown, they're not looking at getting rid of the virus. They're just looking at the reality of bringing hospitalizations. Now. Yeah, no, that's the key one. I mean, that's, and again, somebody was saying that uh, the virus does not justify a full lockdown. Yes and no, because in the end, <clears throat> I think if we had a way to had, uh, you know, to have a smart lockdown and kind of limit the hospitalizations, that would be it. Because in the end, the hospitalizations is the key issue. I mean, when you look at the number of ventilators uh, which are now taken and the number which are still available mm -hmm. uh, and the increase, the daily increase, we have like seven days left <clears throat> to full capacity. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this is the key challenge with this one, given again, we are not testing everybody. We're not testing asymptomatics. <clears throat> we are not really supporting, uh, you know, these uh, uh, quote-unquote, I say quote-unquote, smart lockdowns, meaning, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, with, if, we, if we were to look at the, <clears throat> at the statistics, you know, frankly speaking, if we had a way to somehow support the older people, you know, when they're at home, I think we would be avoiding 80% of the hospitalizations. Right. But that would mean we would really need a system because, you know, I'm looking at both my wife's and my parents are still alive and they're, you know, in Lublin, far away from here, and we're trying to support them so that they don't have to go to the store, etc. <clears throat> but it's not easy. Uh, but if the country did something, you know, via the military or something else, so that these guys can actually stay home and not wander around and get, the, get themselves exposed, again, we would be seeing much less of an issue. Mm -hmm. But again, this would require a significant uh, planning, logistics, etc., etc. Right. <laughs> and that's where it breaks down. <laughs> and uh, you know, and, but again, it is possible to do. Yeah. Just like Slovakia did the testing of everybody, it is possible to do. Uh, but obviously, it's just way easier, given that they have problems with, uh, you know, uh, protests of uh, women, etc. To just say, okay, lockdown. You know, let's get rid of this whole thing. It helps them politically as well, unfortunately, and that's the reality of things. <clears throat> and uh, but that's—I agree with you guys. I mean, this is not the solution in the twenty-first century in a normally operating, uh, you know, developed country. There you go. <clears throat> um, I've still got questions about travel. Again, I, I don't know how more clear to say it is. I don't know how to easily discriminate between commuting and travel and the difference. And it really is about the sphere of exposure relative to the travel. And I don't have an easy definition, but here's the thing I would suggest. Default on the side of caution, I guess, to a certain extent and say, okay, I drove 150 kilometers or I got on a train, that's an exposure. So, you know, take the seven days. I did exempt commuting because I do think there's a difference in terms of going back and forth to home, being prepared, being isolated, protecting ourselves in those kinds of journeys. 
And I do think there's a distinctive difference with commuting because the bulk of the time is in your own home and it's a limited amount of time and everybody is able to keep themselves protected and safe during that commute time. And that's distinctively different from travel. And I, and I think everybody can make that judgment call. But travel is, is about going out beyond your sphere of normal day-to-day -day influence where you know where you are and you know what you're doing. And for that, I think it's just appropriate to take the, take the seven-day break just to be sure, just to protect everyone else. It doesn't have to be a bad thing to take a few days. In most cases, there's a weekend in the middle, so it's really only five days of school at the end of the day. And we're ready to help kids during those days that they're out of school. So just default on the side of caution. Um, but it, there is a distinct difference between commuting and travel. And I think everybody can get a grip on that. But I'm happy to continue to take your emails and try to suss out for individuals specific questions and guide you in your decision making. And you can also write to ASW Health and we'll try our best um, to help you make that decision. And I know I did a few over the last couple of days. Um, fall break, day one, two, yeah, I don't know. Uh, ask your principals. <laughs> I'm not sure what day we were today. I was busy with other things, I apologize, but I don't know the answer to that. So if there's a principal in the chat stream that wants to drop that in there, um, I think it's in power school or uh, teachers are communicating with you on it. So my apologies if it was confusing to you after the break. Um, let's see. Great job in reacting as circumstances change. Families have a choice of virtual learning if they face psychological pressure. Yeah, and that's what hybrid's all about. If you need to switch, as some did, um, you know, please just contact your divisional office. It's there and... Uh, and we're, we're ready to help you with that. Um, if we were to go virtual, could testing still be available? Boy, that's interesting. Um, I think possibly, but again, it comes down to the only reason we're going virtual is when we lock down. And if we lock down, we can't really travel or transport. We're not a pharmacy, so I can't really give you an exemption. So I, while I know Dr. O will say we're probably ready to test, I'm not convinced we could pull it off logistically. Yeah. It would be tough. I mean, unless the government says, you know, testing is exempt, uh, mm -hmm. and you can still do testing, then obviously we're, we are ready to provide. Um, uh, but uh, I mean, again, we will have to play it by the year. Yeah. But I think at some point it would be good peace of mind for people to maybe do a set of drive through testing. Uh, while we're in virtual school uh, to connect and also to make sure they're keeping themselves safe. So I value the question. I just hadn't really considered that. So we'll have to talk about that. Uh, with the recent increase in ES cases, ES got not gone virtual. Well, with no evidence of internal spread. The ES cases were all separate, uh, completely identified as external um, and so we did not see the evidence of internal spread, whereas the upper school, the middle school and the high school were definitely our two cases of, um, again, probable internal spread. We don't, we never know for sure about infection and where it actually comes from, but the evidence suggested it. And so that's usually where that comes. So that's why the difference between the ES cases and the upper school cases is that the ES cases, we have no evidence that there was an internal spread that caused those cases, nor would we this week. It would have been the cases uh, before the vacation. And, and again, we did not see a connection between any of those individual cases. Uh, and the ones that we got late in the, in the break that we were finding during the week were all clearly identifiable as external infections when we reviewed them, okay? Uh, Dr. O, what's your take on indoor team sports? I know we, we donned masks and we did the best we could. We talked about volleyball, yeah. um, but basketball is really tough for us. Definitely, yeah. um, and in fact, I don't know that we're going to competitive basketball at this point, oh. although we're talking with you regularly about this, but, uh, 
I would say I'm apprehensive too. We have not given a green light to full-on basketball. We're just doing skills development right now. And listen, I mean, you know, again, coming back to the uh, to the protocol that we have, uh, it's uh, th there is no safer place to play basketball than at ASW these days. Well, that's the other side of it again. <laughs> <laughs> So even uh, even uh, now, especially now when we're going to go into this three five day cycles, uh, it's going to be even safer. So given the fact that we're not doing competitive sports, just uh, you know uh, in house ASW kids playing together, uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's a higher risk activity. But again, given the protocols that we have, uh, I would say again there is no safer place to do it. Yeah, yeah. We are also going to uh, pull off a play next week, but we're taking a lot of uh, additional protocols to make that happen, including uh, testing the cast before performance. And we've got a seating plan, very limited uh, number of kids. Um, and we're only going to limit it to high school um, uh, cohort. Uh, and we will live stream, so there will be a video live stream so that others will be able to uh, uh, watch the play. But the kids have worked very hard, so we came up with a plan today to make it happen for them. Um, and again, we take these on a case-by-case -case and make sure we've got a safety plan, uh, filters in place, everything we need to, uh, to make it as safe as we possibly can, um, and or cancel it if we don't think we can. Um, so we're, we're taking this individually and looking at it one by one. Uh, doc, so that's the team sports electoral map. Boy, you guys are gonna put me on the spot on electoral map. Um, I, I, you know, I'll be a pundit like everybody on the news and say, I, looking at the numbers this afternoon uh, when I needed to take a break and distract myself, uh, I think Biden's got a shot, but I don't know that we're gonna know right away, so. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's going to be a nail biter right till the end. And I'll just tell you, honestly, I'm not going to stay up till midnight tonight to find out or tomorrow night or the night after <laughs> or three weeks from now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's our crazy U.S. system. And I know that the a big chunk of our audience out there is not U.S., but I know everybody's watching this uh, from around the globe and hoping um, that maybe something will come out of this that gives us hope. And that's all we can hope for. <laughs> uh, that's it for the questions. And I've been watching the uh, uh, Facebook as we've been going to, and I think we've covered uh, uh, principals answered the question on classes and what day. Thank you very much for that. Um, they're actively in the chat as they usually are answering things. And again, thanks for all the positive comments. Uh, from everyone on what we're doing. We are striving to do our best and stay on top of this. We'll keep communicating. We'll keep letting you know everything that we know as we know it. Um, and uh, we'll do our best to make the most prudent decisions and take very good care of our kids, our teachers, our staff, our frontline nurses. Again, big shout out to Marilyn and her team who are uh, mustering wonderfully. Dr. O, thank you to your team as well. Your uh, nurses, your gals and guys, they've been wonderful and really stepped up last week because they were on their own here and making it all still come together. And so we very much appreciate them. They're now part of the team, they say. So we're, we're very, very happy with them. Um, I think that's it, everyone. Uh, questions are done. Let me stop the sharing and Dr. O, thank you again tonight. As always, you're always my uh, partner and I do appreciate your presence uh, and, uh, and your wisdom. It's a pleasure and, uh, and an honor and it's been quite a, quite a journey and we continue. And, uh, and again, my commitment to you guys is uh, we will do uh, what is best, what is uh, out uh, in the world, what is the best uh, possible uh, way to protect all of you, uh, your kids, uh, the teachers, the whole community, and stay uh, as long as possible and as, uh, you know, as, uh, as physically possible uh, throughout the, this uh, school year. Yep. Well, let's all keep our fingers crossed. We'll all yep. do a little knock on wood and we'll take it away tonight and we'll see you again in two weeks. 
So stay tuned and have a wonderful evening, one and all. Dr. O, video off, and here we go. Thank you. <laughs>